Today's podcast is sponsored by the 2022 Westminster Conference, September 9th and 10th. Register now online at rpts.edu slash events. And there's more at the conclusion of today's program. This is Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. We're able to pray to the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. It means that God has heard my prayer, that I'm praying to the God who hears. And if it's according to His will, then yes, He will reward. Hello and welcome to Theology on the Go. I'm James Dalzell, joined uh, by our guest, but not by my ordinary co-host, Jonathan Master. Jonathan is hard at work on behalf of his presbytery and his denomination, so he will rejoin and take the reins uh, again soon. But we are glad that you've joined us for our special guest today, Sarah Ivel. Sarah is a Reformed author, wife, a stay-at-home mom, a Bible study teacher, and a conference speaker. She lives in Matthews, North Carolina, and is a member of Christ Covenant Church uh, in the PCA. She joins us today to discuss her recent book published by Reformation Heritage Books entitled The God Who Hears, How the Story of the Bible Shapes Our Prayers. Sarah, welcome. Thank you for having me. So let's get right into a discussion. There are many books on prayer and helpful ones. I think of Matthew Henry and Isaac Watts both have great books on a method of prayer. But the particular emphasis that you take in your book is on a biblical theology of prayer. So I want to begin with sort of a big question that you lead with early in the book, which is why a biblical theology of prayer? Uh, And maybe what's distinct about that approach? Sure. I think it hit me as I was really wanting and desiring to write a book on prayer that I wanted to help women also at the same time understand the unfolding story of prayer and how God has condescended to his people to initiate a covenant relationship with us and help them understand really just the big story of scripture. And I wanted to take a unique approach specifically to teach them not just how to pray, because that wasn't the emphasis of my book really at all, although I hope that was one of the goals that would be met. But really, I wanted to whet their appetite and help them understand the glorious opportunity we have to pray and and why and how that has come about by taking them through the redemptive history of of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. So, In framing uh, a discussion of prayer by following out the redemptive narrative, and I think it's, I I like the way you put it, that there is a narrative of prayer as well. As redemptive history unfolds, prayer and the praying of God's people unfolds with it. Um, How, why is the, maybe we can put it this way, why is the con, why is the biblical theological context of a prayer important or helpful for the enrichment of our prayer lives? In other words, why why is it necessary when we're using scripture to help us pray that we understand what it is we're reading redemptively, historically, uh, biblical theology? uh, Why is that necessary? I think when women understand, for example, in the Old Testament, when Abraham is praying, that there is a distinct difference between Abraham's prayers and our prayers today under the new covenant with the Holy Spirit indwelling within us, that it really gives them a much broader and deeper understanding of who Christ is and Christ's work for us on the cross that opened up the way to the throne room of grace with the Father for us Mm. to pray to the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit, which is different, right, than Abraham's day. 
And so to keep those contexts in mind that perhaps prayer during Abraham's day was more sporadic than you and I going to him anytime, anywhere um, today and how that fulfillment is seen in Christ. In each chapter, I keep taking them from the period of time to point them to how is this fulfilled in Christ? How does this anticipate Christ? How does this foreshadow what Christ has done for us? I, that comes out early in your book and then repeatedly throughout that thinking of prayer in terms of biblical theology, which is really that way of theology where we, we study the, the progressive unfolding of redemption culminating in Christ. You, you mentioned that one of its particular benefits is that it gives us a Christ-centeredness. Maybe you could say a little more to that as we're thinking about it biblically. Other way, then, then we're not just kind of dropping in, grabbing a bit of prayer off the pages of the scriptures, and then kind of airlifting off of the narrative itself. If we put it in a biblical theological context, how does that help us as New Covenant Christians with Christ-centeredness? Well, I think with each narrative that we study, particularly in the Old Testament, we do have a habit of taking that out of context. And just all of a sudden, we move from the narrative to application, and we shortcut the Christ-centeredness of it. And, and we really do ourselves a disservice to doing that because it becomes, it could become moralistic, right? Um, right? For sure. It become just very much applications that I draw from Abraham's prayers. I may assume, for example, that Hannah praying for little Samuel, maybe that's a blanket that I'm going to be able to have a child if I pray hard enough. And putting it in context of redemptive history helps me to make sure I don't run into those dangers. That I really understand the historical context of that and what God was doing through Hannah, for example, in raising up Samuel to prepare for the monarchy and understanding how the, the reason why he answered Hannah's prayer was because of what he was doing from a redemptive historical um, perspective, not that just because I get on my knees and pray fervently for a child that he's going to necessarily reward me immediately with one. And I think we have a tendency to take these prayers out of context and we just think, oh, that's a promise for me too. But when you take it and you see how it's fulfilled in Christ, you begin to understand what God was doing through each one of these particular stories and narratives of prayer and how he was raising up the promised one. And then how now as Christians who are redeemed and united to Christ, how we're able to pray to the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit and, and what that means for us. It doesn't mean that necessarily I'm going to get a child, but it does mean this. It means that God has heard my prayer, that I'm praying to the God who hears. And if it's according to his will, then yes, you know, he will reward um, and he will fulfill that desire. I want to dial back a little bit to one of the earlier chapters in your book where you discuss creation and covenant. And you mentioned that covenant in particular is a great motive to pray. And I, I'm, I'm thinking the way you connect that to biblical theology as really a, a progression of, of pactum salutis and covenant of works and then covenant of grace unfolding in various stages. How does, how does covenant and understanding covenant particularly motivate the prayers of God's people? I think I don't, I don't ever want women to get over the fact that Christ has condescended to initiate a relationship with us. I want that to be amazing 
to them, I want them to be motivated to pray, recognizing that they, they're not the ones reaching out first, that he reached out first to us. And just knowing that there is someone, the creator of the universe, who wants to have a relationship with us and who initiated a relationship with sinners in desperate need of his grace. I don't want us to ever get over the fact that we, we get to talk to this God. We get to talk to the true living God who, who came and condescended to meet us where we are. I want that to fuel the fact that they can talk to him all day long, anywhere about anything that this God wanted to have a relationship, pursued a relationship with them. The covenant really is an, an inauguration of an inauguration and a welcome into a relationship. And I, I appreciate that you frame right at the outset, the entire book around that theme, uh, holding it together. Uh, so I won't cover chapter by chapter in the interest of time, but I did want to move sort of jump very quickly toward nearer to the end of the book, not the very end of the book, but to ask how do the prayers of the incarnate son particularly, and I'm thinking now Christ as Christ as the fulfillment, Christ as the longed-for Messiah, how do his prayers bring that biblical model of prayer to its sort of biblical theological high point, if you will? Um, how does Jesus' praying particularly uh, come to bear in instructing us in prayer? Sure. Well, I think, well, one, to look back to the Old Testament to see all of the prayers of David and the prophets and priests and kings are, are now fulfilled mm. in Christ and to see those connections in the New Testament. But also that we see that Christ, the perfect son of God, the perfect God-man, had prayer as one of his very first priorities, that he prayed alone to his father, that he prayed in front of other people to his father, that, that prayer was an integral part of his ministry. And so certainly if the perfect son of God was to pray, we are to pray also. And not only that, but he's also our example, right? He teaches us how to pray, to be dependent like children upon our father, just as he was dependent upon his father. Um, and then more, more than that, even, even more so foundational is to recognize that I can't pray apart from him, mm. that there is no way I can go before the father without my elder brother, Jesus Christ, who has opened up the way for me through his death, life, resurrection, and ascension, that it is truly because Christ has, has prayed and fulfilled um, what he was called to do that I'm now able to go boldly before the throne of grace. Um, and to have that model of my elder brother going before me and opening up that way for me, that doesn't that just whet your appetite to, to pray, to, to thank him for what he has done so that now I can get on my knees and bow my, my head before my heavenly father because of what Christ has done for me. Um, I think that goes nicely with a theme you bring up in your chapter, particularly on Christ and his praying of Christ praying as a high priest and that you, you, we have instances of intercession in the Old Testament, but this intercessor on our behalf, really excels them all. There's a there's a hopefulness for us that we'll be heard because of him, right? That you, I think you bring that out very nicely in that chapter. There's one last. Uh, there's a chapter after this because we know when we talk about the Christian's prayer. How how does how does the Christian, in light of what Christ has done, and also particularly in view of the gift of the Holy Spirit, um, what 
how does the gift of the Holy Spirit uniquely sort of elevate the prayer life of the Christian in the new covenant? Well, you know, Paul tells us in the book of Romans that we don't know how to pray, but the spirit within us prays for us on our behalf when we don't know what to say. And oftentimes there have been occasions in my life where I haven't known how to pray for a particular situation and I will get on my knees and I will know that even with my weak, feeble attempts to pray that the Holy Spirit within me is praying on my behalf. And what a comfort that is for me as I pray to my father and as I rest in the work of my beloved Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as I am deeply aware that my comforter and my helper, the Holy Spirit, is is interceding for me on my behalf, that I don't have to have it all together. I don't have to have eloquent words. I don't have to um, have sinless perfection that Christ has done that for me, that I, I'm robed in his robes of righteousness and the Holy Spirit is interceding for me when I'm, I'm weak and unable to even know how to pray. Um, that gives me a boldness that I otherwise would never have before my heavenly father. Amen. All right. A final, a final question that I want to ask, and this has to do with how how does a biblical the- theological approach to prayer intermesh with some of the um, traditional elements of prayer that are that praying Christians widely recognize. I'm thinking of elements like adoration, petition, confession, intercession. These, when we sort of think through the list of things, the, the kinds of praying, the elements of prayer that need to be there. How does a biblical theological approach um, intermesh with those kind of traditional elements that we're familiar with? I like to think of it as it adds width and breadth and depth to my prayers and these traditional prayers that it, it really helps me the, the deeper I know the scriptures and the storyline of redemptive history, the higher my praise, right? The, and, and, the, right. and praise, as I often mention in the book, at least a couple of times, praise is the essence of prayer right? That is the high point of prayer is praise. And of course, and you may be getting to this, but in the new heaven and the new earth, that's what we will be doing. All of our prayers for, you know, better health and um, more, more fruitfulness and kingdom activity, all of this will come to, to fruition and a climax of just praise in the new heaven and new earth. And so to see where we're headed and where we have been, it certainly adds a depth to my prayers that I otherwise would not have had. And also a breadth to them that as I look back over redemptive history and see all of the prayers of the saints and how those prayers are fulfilled in Christ, how much deeper my praise for our beloved savior, how much more adoration do I lift high to my father? How much greater Um, appreciation do I have for the Holy Spirit within me because of the storyline of scripture. Um, So I I think it it definitely adds breadth and depth. And and like I said, the deeper, the deeper our knowledge of redemptive history, the higher our praise. Early in the book, you talk about uh, the fall. And in particular, I'm thinking that there is no prayer of confession uh, if there isn't the fall as sort of the framework uh, for all of that. There's a great, in 
in uh, Thomas Boston's book on the on human nature and its fourfold state, he he says that one of the things that we should do is and when we confess and repent of sin, that we should confess and repent of original sin. And I thought of that when reading your book, that if, if we don't understand the narrative of the fall, uh, which you bring out early on, um, then that's a kind of praying that wouldn't even su- perhaps suggest itself to us uh, without that narratival background sort of giving us reason. Sure. Yeah, I think without the broader picture, prayer dwindles down to a very almost selfish prayer, right? We're a very self-absorbed prayers um, without understanding the whole storyline, where we've been, where we've headed, what Christ has done. Prayer becomes little else than, Lord, help me through this. Help, help me do this. Help me achieve this. Help me be healed of this. But with a broader storyline, you really begin to broaden your prayer life and you pray in in bigger kingdom for your glory uh, as a more overarching (laughs) guiding theme of our prayers than rather just help me in this moment for my thing right christ taught us in the lord's prayer which is one of the one of the prayers certainly that i i take readers through in the book is um, how does christ teaching us how to pray how does that shape our prayers right Well, Sarah, thank you very much for writing this book and for joining us on Theology on the Go today to just uh, give a a taste and introduction of it uh, to our listeners. And uh, we really appreciate all the work that you've done. Yeah, it's been my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, we really do want to uh, commend Sarah Ivel's book, The God Who Hears, How the Story of the Bible Shapes Our Prayers. Commend that to our listeners. It really is it's a it's a very well written overview of redemptive history, creation, fall, redemption, consummation, and Sarah does a very nice job bringing out various of the of the biblical prayers and how they develop along with the progress of redemption. So we warmly recommend it to our listeners. If you're interested in entering to possibly win a copy of Sarah Ivel's book, The God Who Hears, you can go to placefortruth.org, click on the Theology on the Go link, and you will find a place there to enter your information. Just kind of scroll down the page a little bit under the paragraph introducing the podcast, and you'll find the link there. It's also available for purchase from our friends at Reformation Heritage Books, and they are the ones who've also made a few... um, copies available for those who enter to possibly win. Please write to us if you have any questions or topics you would like Jonathan and I to discuss on the podcast. Also, if you're able to donate, you can do that for at placefortruth.org or at alliancenet.org. Uh, the Alliance really does depend upon uh, the contributions of listeners and readers, and we are very grateful uh, for all of those who so generously donate. And if you are so moved to do so, we would much appreciate that. If you know others who will benefit from this podcast, uh, do pass along our information. We're on several different podcast platforms, as well as at placefortruth.org. Also, rate and review the podcast if you're able to do that. This helps us uh, spread the word about Theology on the Go, and it helps to raise our visibility uh, to potential listeners. Also, we want to thank you, the listener, for taking this time to listen to Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth.
For many churches, the sacraments hold little significance. Others assign them an unbiblical purpose or meaning. Gain a Reformed perspective on the sacraments of the church. Join the pastor professors of Reformed Presbyterian Theological Seminary for the 2022 Westminster Conference, September 9th and 10th near Pittsburgh, PA. It's the Westminster Standards and the Means of Grace. The sacraments as holy signs and seals of the covenant. Keith Evans, Richard Gamble, Jeffrey Stuyvesant, David Whitla, C.J. Williams, and Barry York explore the sacraments as a mark of the church. The essential insights of Calvin, Lord Warriston, and more. Friday evening and Saturday morning, September 9th and 10th at Providence Presbyterian Church in McKees Rocks, PA. Learn more or register now online at rpts.edu slash events. rpts.edu slash events. The 2022 Westminster Conference, sponsored in in part by the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Save with early registration through August 9th.